This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and this is episode number 69. So today's guest is someone who I've actually wanted to have on the show since the very beginning of the podcast, and I'm so excited we were finally able to come up with a time to sit down and chat. So there's a few people in the personal finance blogging community that uh, I've known through FinCon for years now who all started their blogs roughly around the same time and then sold their blogs roughly around the same time for a seven-figure sum. And those guests or those people have all been guests on the podcast now with today's episode. So one episode, uh, which you'll find these links in the show notes, we had a panel of speakers on with a live recording at FinCon. One of those guests was Harlan Landis, also known as Luke Landis, also known as Flexo. But he is a staple in the personal finance blogging community from his site, Consumerism Commentary. Um, Later on, we had an episode, just one-on-one me hanging out with J.D. Roth, founder of Get Rich Slowly. And then today we will have the third godfather uh, to round out the set, um, that is Jim Wang. So we'll start today's chat learning about Jim's history and how he got started and end with what he's doing today after a seven-figure sale of his blog and a few years have gone by. So let's dive in right after this quick one-minute message. It used to be that when I wanted to review all of my personal finances, I had to log into websites from different banks, investment companies, lenders, credit card companies, all sorts of financial institutions to see a complete picture of my finances. But that's not a problem anymore thanks to personal capital. With personal capital, I can log in and in one handy dashboard, I can view all of my banks, credit cards, investments, and every other account in one place. Plus, it gives me insights into how I earn money and how I spend each month so I can optimize my income and cash flows to best suit the needs of my family. But there's more. There's some great free tools like the 401k and mutual fund analysis tool that I use to save $300 every year on mutual fund fees. And that's money back in my pocket. Now, the best part is most of these tools are totally free. You can sign up for personal capital with no charge and only pay if you decide you want to work with a professional financial advisor to help manage your money. But if you want to do it yourself, you can sign up for free and use all of these great tools. To get started, head to personalprofitability.com slash personal capital. That's personalprofitability.com slash personal capital. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, I am very excited to welcome Jim Wang. Now, Jim is uh, actually has something in common with two of our past guests who started personal finance blogs before all the cool kids were starting personal finance blogs, and it led him to an opportunity to sell for a big profit and then restart his personal finance blogging a few years later, as he has recently done. So everyone, please welcome Jim. Jim, say hello. Hey, Hello. So, Everybody, calm down. Don't freak out. It's just me. <laughs> just, just Jim Wang. You're, just you're, Jim. At the uh, at FinCon, we refer to you as one of kind of the the godfathers of personal finance because you started your blog so much earlier than a lot of the rest of us. What was it like, and what you know led to that idea to start your first blog? It's funny. Like personal finance and, and money has always been an interest, and so when I started, 
there weren't actually I didn't know that there were a handful of other blogs out there that that talked about money. You had a lot of tech and a lot of politics, uh, but you didn't really have anything outside of personal journals uh, in terms of you know subject areas outside of politics and tech. And so when I started, I thought I was the first one, much like a lot of the people that started in that sort of like two, three year time frame in like the mid 2000s. And I just was just keeping a journal for myself. And I felt pretty comfortable being online and, and getting WordPress set up. And back in the day, you had to install your own and download it and unpack it and do all that fun stuff. So I, I just thought I'd do it. And eventually I discovered maybe a dozen other folks doing it too. And we sort of, that was sort of the beginning of the personal finance community, so to speak. So what year did you start and was there any specific event or something like that in your life that inspired you that this is the day, this is why I'm going to start or when I'm going to start? It was, I think it was 2004 or 2005, the years I get hazy, but it was just kind of like the first couple of years I was working and really you know, once you get your head above water, you know, you graduate college and then you start working, you start trying to figure things out. Eventually you get to the point where, okay, there aren't so many moving parts. I could start focusing on things. And so money was then the next thing on the list. I just thought I'd start it. And it wasn't really like a precipitating event. I think starting work a couple years earlier sort of got my mind thinking about it. And it's just one day I just decided to do it because I had nothing to do. So this was a side hustle in the beginning. What was it like in the beginning years of your blogging trying to turn this idea into an income source? So it's funny. I didn't think I didn't start thinking it was going to be a side hustle. It was just something I was doing for fun. And then as I met other people, it was a way for me to learn how to manage my money better and understand different concepts that to that point I didn't understand too well. And just having other people to email and talk to was helpful enough. That's how I thought I was going to benefit from the blog. And then eventually I started discovering that there were ways through affiliate marketing, through advertising, other, other mechanisms that this could actually become, you know, a nice little hobby. And I, my wife brings this up a bunch of times. Uh, but I just thought it'd be fun if this paid for a nice vacation every single year, right? This little fun hobby of starting a journal, writing about personal finance. I didn't have a personal finance background. My background's in software. And I was just like, oh, it'd be fun. You know, I'm not like a Jim Cramer or any of the, you know, the famous pundits. But if I could just get a vacation out of this every year, this would be a fun hobby to have that would pay for a nice vacation. And it wasn't until, you know, years of doing it that it started to actually generate a full-time income that I would quit my job and, and do it full-time. So when you got to that point, you were starting to think about quitting your job was the revenue coming primarily from advertising or for products? What was the business model like? The business model was very much like a lead generation type of model. Commissions on things that were sold through the site like through Amazon or if people signed up for credit cards or bank accounts. And it wasn't until I really discovered the, the whole credit card bank account where they would pay you a commission every time someone opened an account or was approved for a credit card that it became something that I felt could be a, a sustainable and, and full-time income. I really enjoyed my job. Like I worked with great people. The technology I worked on was really cool. I was happy there. It's just the, the site got big enough that I kind of had to focus on it full-time. Otherwise, I was doing myself a disservice. So what, and what did it feel like then? Was there kind of a moment that you thought there's a certain revenue number 
I would have to leave, I'm going to leave the job or was there something else that precipitated that? So my thinking about it was it as, as like big as it had gotten as stable as it seemed, it never really felt stable because it kind of showed up mysterious in terms of like the income and, and the business. It kind of just appeared, right? I'd gone to school and I'd, you know, done years and years of studying and then worked at, at a company and it, that felt very stable. So in order to kind of convince myself that I could do this full time and that it would be stable, quote unquote stable, I built up kind of like a war chest and I said, all right, if the site made an X multiple of my salary, then I was essentially buying myself runway to sort of mess it up, right? So if I was making five times my, my annual salary with the blog every single year, I was buying myself five more years. And it got to the point where through accumulating all the savings and like it was making much more than I was earning at my full-time job, despite not spending nearly as much time on it as, you know, the nine to five by virtue of just having only 24 hours in the day and needing to sleep. Sleep's I just overrated. said, <laughs> it's a little overrated until you don't get any when you have kids. But so totally. it just, I got to the point where I, all right, I got enough of a war chest that if I mess this up, I have a bunch of years. And I think in my mind, the years was like eight or nine or 10 years, something around that range. I was like, all right, I can kind of figure out what I'm going to do next over the next 10 years. And worst case, because of what I was doing, I believe that I could go back to work doing what I was doing in 10 years because it was in the defense department. Like the software and the, the technologies I was working on were built in like the 70s and 80s. So I, I felt like it would still be around in 10 years. That gave me the confidence that if things did go south, I sort of had a backup plan. Well, you lucked out. You didn't have to go back. So what was uh, yes. what was it like after you went full time? Did you see the revenue start to grow? Did it stay stable? And what did your days start to look like when you stopped having to go into the office? It was great. So I don't know where I read it, but it's it's often said that, you know, creativity comes out of quote unquote boredom where you kind of don't have a necessarily set structure for all eight, 10 hours of your working day. And so what I discovered was that in, in having more free time and like surfing the web more and reading more and just general studying where it didn't have like a, a particular direction, ideas would pop up and I would given the time be able to try all the ideas rather than pick and choose. Right. So if you're working on something for only a couple hours at night, you kind of have to pick on and prioritize what you're going to focus on. Well, if you have all day, you can spend time on everything. And then whichever one seems to progress the fastest and the farthest that shows the most promise, you can spend even more time on and then deliver it, say, a blog post. Back then, when I was working on the site full time, I was writing three articles a day of like six, seven, eight hundred word articles. I look back to it now and it sounds absolutely insane. But when you have eight hours a day, and you're like constantly trying to put things out because you think everything is interesting, you know, you, you can. And look, in a week, right, that's 15 articles a week, maybe two or three are going to be popular. You know, all of them are, are pretty good. Not all of them are great. There are a couple that are short and not that, you know, high quality, but I thought it would be interesting. And back then you didn't have Twitter or Facebook or other outlets for sh sort of the shorter ideas. But you know what, if you can put out two or three pieces of good content each week, which is, you know, pretty impressive, 
it, it'll help your business, especially if it's a blog. So you know, I know it grew and you had great success for a while. I don't know exactly what you're allowed to share. So, you know, obviously only share what you can. What was it like when it came to a point that you were getting ready to sell? Was it something that you had thought of you wanted to sell or were you approached? What was that like? It was, it was weird. I think what happened was some of the other larger personal finance blogs like uh, Five Cent Nickel and Get Rich Slowly were being scooped up. And part of me felt like, all right, this might be the time to sort of exit and, you know, take value off the table, so to speak. I'm not a big fan of, you know, corporate speak words, but this one feels particularly accurate. It's just take money off the table and deleverage or de-risk the, the rest of my life and be able to pursue different projects where sort of financial gain isn't the primary motivator, which changes how you approach various problems. And I just thought, you know, it, it's not a bad time. Um, and I'm sort of glad I made the decision. Right. So after you sold, um, you took a few years off I and mean, we still saw you around the personal finance blogging community quite a bit. And then not all that long ago in the scheme of things, you started up again. Tell us about your next project that you got going. Yeah, so in those intervening couple of years, I worked on different projects. They're all internet marketing based. Uh, one of the ones that is still around now that I work on is $5 Meal Plan, which is with Aaron Chase of $5 Dinners. It's a meal plan service. It was sort of my foray into membership sites. Uh, you hear a lot about membership sites. And they're not, you know, as super well understood as say blogs, but they're they're a great opportunity. And it was fun to sort of learn that space. And you know what? Membership sites are much harder than blogs because customer service is much harder than not having customer service, so to speak. Did you but, have any you know, uh, any horror stories that come to mind from customer service? There aren't. There are no real horror stories, but whenever you, so, you know, you have a blog, you have a, let's say you have a couple thousand people that come to your site each day. You know, most of them are not going to email you. Most of them, if they see a problem, aren't going to do it because they're, they're not paying you money. And so there's no real expectation that you will answer all of their questions. But when people start paying you money, they expect, and you should answer all of their questions, which means whatever their technical expertise, whatever their technical configuration, you would. You would think that, you know, sending everybody a PDF would mean that everybody can open it. But in there are some rare cases where PDFs don't work. There's some weird configurations with certain HP printers, like super old HP printers, that if you print things out, they don't appear the right way because of how the drivers are set up. And when you have thousands of people, those are the things that that crop up. And it's like mind boggling how many of these things exist. And when you have thousands of people, you're going to get hundreds of these types of things. So building in a customer service process was probably the biggest, not headache, but lesson learned that we didn't know going into it. But now that it's there, it's, it's great. And plus after all of those sort of individual problems, you can address them in a more automated way with like FAQs and instructions of different kinds to sort of head them off. But, yeah, it was it, that was a fun experience, and it sort of. So you, you said not too long after, I started another blog, Wallet Hacks, also about personal finance, because I'm still interested about money, you know, and I'm still I still like blogging. It's it's a little more. It, it gets me, 
you know, able to scratch that creative itch that I still have. You know, the first blog I'd done for seven, eight years and then stopped for a couple of years and I sort of kind of got that itch back again. That's fun. I know you've had a, uh, a Scotch blog, which, you know, cheers. I'm, I'm a right. fellow Scotch fan <laughs> and, and some yeah. fun other projects. In the wallet hacks world, I know you've done some podcasting. What was that experience like for you? Podcasting is fun. I really like having conversations with people and then just sort of hitting the record button on it. Um, I had done the podcasting with a previous blog called Microblogger, which was about blogging. And I sort of abandoned that site in part because I realized that I – it's kind of like a like a cooking blog or a recipe blog where I like cooking and I like eating, but I don't really like taking photos of food in the middle of when I'm cooking. I kind of just want to cook. And so microblog was kind of that same way. Instead of just being able to work on businesses, writing about them kind of was an interruption that I didn't really enjoy as much. And I didn't know that until going into it. And so one of the interesting things is people have asked me, like, you know, of, of these various projects that didn't have, say, an exit at the end, finish line, do you ever feel like they're failures or things like that? And I'm like, no, I, I feel like when I did Microblogger, I don't – the site still exists. You know, the podcasts are all still there. It was a great experience. I learned a lot about interviewing. I learned a lot about just the whole podcasting space, which I think is amazing. But even though it didn't have a positive outcome in terms of the site itself, I still had a positive outcome on me. And so each of these quote-unquote failures aren't really failures because you get to take something valuable from each one. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've had uh, a whole bunch of failures. I'm actually going to speak, you know, by the time listeners hear this, it will have been a few weeks ago at a podcast movement and what some of my slides talk about my early failed business ideas, like a, uh, I'd made these bracelets. Remember the, what would Jesus do bracelets that were really cool? Yeah. Like way back in the day Well, I lived in Colorado, I was a snowboarder. So I thought I'm going to make never eat yellow snow bracelets, but I never really did the marketing. <laughs> so I actually, in my office, I'm looking at them right now. I have two bags of these bracelets that are you know, years old that I never sold. I almost broke even on it, but I learned a lot along the way about, you know, marketing, product sourcing so even though it didn't make me money it was still a kind of a fun project so i'm glad yeah I and hopefully not too expensive of a lesson too yeah, only a couple right? hundred like, bucks which at the time felt like a lot when i was in college yeah. and i put the money in which was like 15 years too late <laughs> that was that was my big <laughs> problem was timing um but yeah it was it was an interesting thing it was, it was, i'm glad i did it so uh what are you working on now and what's next for jim wang Jim Wang. The the main focus is Wallet Hacks and Five Dollar Meal Plan. Just trying to grow them both and you know approach them sort of more of a having fun and discovery. And this there's still so much to learn. Like you would think, oh, you know, he built a blog before, you know, was able to to sell it, and you know, he must know everything. I don't I don't know anything. I missed out on Pinterest. I missed out on uh, for a large part, you know, Facebook in terms of building up. Uh, a following to say a page or, or something like that, you know, cause seven, eight years ago, those were not things that people, first of all, th they were not things that existed. I don't think Pinterest existed eight years ago. I, I may be wrong. It may have been very early, uh, but you know, like even just like Twitter and things like that, they've really blown up in the last five, six, seven, eight, eight years in terms of businesses, uh, when it comes to blogging, especially. So it's just learning all that and then just having fun. 
Awesome. Well, if people want to connect with you, they want to learn more, where should they head? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at WalletHacks. Uh, just go to WalletHacks.com. Say hello. Shoot me an email. I always love meeting new folks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And everyone, you can find links to all of Jim's awesome stuff down in the show notes. So thank you and have an awesome rest of your day. You too, man. Thanks again. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I had a blast chatting with Jim. You can find the show notes for this episode at personalprofitability.com slash episode 69. You know, as always, if you have any questions, head to personalprofitability.com slash askeric and you can leave a recorded audio question that I will answer right here on the show. And as always, if you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, head to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating because that is how new people discover the show. And that's the only advertising I've got. That's you. And it means the world to me if you just take a minute to share. I don't ask for anything else. So I hope you enjoyed this one. And thanks for sticking around till the end. Until next time, stay profitable.